Hello and welcome to another Commodity Conversations podcast with the team at Mercado. My name is Olivia Agar and I'm here today with Robert Herman, who's the Managing Director of Mercado. And what we're going to talk to you about today is the wool market. Now, fortunately, agriculture is one of those industries that has been uh, continuing to operate through this coronavirus. Um, that's not to say it's not without disruption, but we're certainly carrying on with the job at hand. The wool sector is one of the few markets in ag that definitely does seem to be being hit hard by all this global instability and it is hard to look ahead and know exactly what's in store or, or how the long-term um, effects are going to play out. Uh, now, we know you're all probably very sick of hearing uh, about coronavirus as we are, but there does seem to be a lot of stats out there and anecdotal reports about what it's doing to markets, but not much in the way of analysis. So that's what Rob and I are here to chat about today. I mean, we're by no means going to have all the answers, but we we do have insights from different perspectives of the market. And so that's really where we're going to kick off and focus today. So thanks for uh, coming on today, Rob. Can you give us a bit of a, a start about what's been happening in the market over the last couple of weeks and and does anyone really seem to be having a handle on what's going on? Well, thanks, Olivia. Um, I think there has been a lot happening in the market, but I don't know that we really fully understand what's been going on. But the wool market is, a, is one of those funny markets that, uh, you know, tends to catch a cold very easily. And uh, if you look back, we, we had been in decline since sort of middle of 2018. The prices had been coming back. And then um, we had uh, even just, I think it was just six weeks ago, we had, or maybe even less, we had this problem where there was a malware um, attack on the Talman system. And the Talman system was the, is the wool monitoring or the, or the technical system that looks after all the wool business. So it does all the transfers. It's a, uh, it it uh, aggregates all the tests. It uh, does the um, sales transactions. And what it meant was the wool market had a week off and that was just another problem. So we got back from that and having a week off is a big problem because it means that the wool just keeps coming in. I think we worked out there's about 1.3 million sheep shorn each week and uh, they just kept getting shorn and so we had a big build-up and then all of a sudden the full impact of coronavirus kicked in and what that's really done is just further exacerbated the, the uncertainties um, increased the risk and increased the concerns and um, we even had the case where there were real concerns whether wool would be asked to sh shut the sales down because of um, you know the social distancing but uh, Minister Littleproud uh, came out last week and said that no it was going to be seen as an essential service so I suppose that's something we always knew it was essential service to keep trade flowing where you could but um, there are really uncertain times Olivia. Yeah, that's right. And it, it, even though Mr. Minister Little Proud came out with that statement last week, we still had a pretty tumultuous and uh, horrible week in the wool market. I know we had a price drop in the EMI of around 155 cents last week. And, and I think it was back to 2016 that we last saw it drop that much um, for the EMI in Australian dollars and, and even... Uh, in, in US dollars, it was the biggest percentage fall since 2003. So, I mean, yeah, look, they, they were extraordinary. They were extraordinary. And um, but there was a, 
There's probably some reasons for that. The week before, we think the market held up better than it probably should have because there was this feeling by buyers and exporters that perhaps the sales won't go on forever. So there's a bit of get in there and get it while you can. Um, but then we came back and uh, it was interesting. I was listening to Chris Wilcox who was talking about this whole thing. And Chris is a real expert on national trade for wool. And he was saying that uh, we are seeing Chinese mills come back. We're seeing Chinese mills get back to activity pretty quickly. Um, but the problem is that normally at this time of the year, they're getting their northern hemisphere winter orders coming through. And, of course, with all the other countries closed down, uh, where the big retail sales are uh, for Chinese exports, those orders aren't going to come through. In fact, nobody knows whether they will be coming through um, next month or two months or three months or, or what. Yeah, I suppose you've got the two ends of the spectrum there where you've got people that are sitting at home and bored with plenty more time for online shopping. But then you're also looking at it from the point of, well, why am I going to go buy a new winter coat or um, athletic wear with merino skins if I'm not going out anywhere? That's true. That's true. But uh, I also just will reference Chris Wilcox again for a minute. He made the point that in the past when the world was really uncertain and there's a lot of um, issues around, he said people go for comfort wear and he was thinking that that might be something in the future. I mean, it sounds a bit far-fetched, but uh, he said people don't necessarily go away for the throwaway items. In the, in, when things are tough, they go for the comfort wear, the longer wearing, um, the more tried and trusted, I suppose. But one thing to remember, Olivia, is that... Um, while everybody, we all complain about over the years that China has become such a dominant um, destination for our wool, taking, you know, 80% of our wool, that may be a good thing if, if China can get back to activity um, quicker than normal. And just in relation to this idea about retail sales, um, we've got to remember that while 80% of our, um, our exports go to China, there's about half of those that wool that's exported into China is actually consumed in China now. So the Chinese consumer, it used to be what really drove the direction of the wool to China was the processing capacity. In fact, they were cheap and uh, cheaper than, than the traditional processes. But now you've also got the big consumer activity and, and Chinese consumers buying wool. Yeah, and what about um, some of the other destinations that the wool is going to, like uh, India and especially Italy, that are having a major effects and complete shutdowns over there. How's that mm. playing into it all? Well, that, that's that's the real crux of it. So I think there's two things. There's the, the global uncertainty of what the consumer is, when the consumer is going to come back. And so retail stores are feeling that and then they push that back down the wool pipeline to, um, to the processes in China. But there's also the fact that India and Italy are basically just shut down. And um, the reason that's important, because while China is 80% of our exports or thereabouts, uh, number two and number three are India and Italy. So last week, you know, the quotes out of the market were that really it was just Chinese buyers. So there was no one really pushing them anyway. And, and how does um, consumer com confidence all come into it? I mean, you've got all these job losses that are happening and, the, you know, the prospects of a global recession recession on the card. So, I mean, what, what could this do to it on the long term? Well, I think there's no doubt, Olivia, that we're, we're heading for some sort of recession. And a recession always impacts on the consumer. 
The thing with wool is that it is a discretionary item by and large. You know, we, we don't have to actually buy a woolen garment. We don't have to actually buy clothes. We've got clothes. If you compare that with something like milk, for argument's sake, it's not a discretionary, or food is not a discretionary item. So, so a discretionary item, when we come back from uh, this, get over the edge of this coronavirus, we all come out of our bunk, then the global recession is, is going to mean that the confidence and possible job losses will be a real problem. So people need money to spend if we're going to sell them more products. And um, that's, uh, that, that's where the unknown is. And, and, of course, remembering the other thing, Olivia, is the last four or five years has seen the wool market steadily increase to be at record levels, you know, last year. And um, so we're coming off high prices. And when things get tough, high prices aren't, isn't a good place to be for your commodity because you're going to see a pullback. And you talk about how wool's a discretionary product here, but it's not just wool that's facing the downturn. It's uh, you know, the general apparel fibre market that the wool market does follow for most of the time. And are we seeing the exact same thing play out in those markets as well? Yeah, we are. Um, it's interesting that um, you know polyester and cotton came back in similar percentage terms as wool did. Uh, viscose and, and some of the other more uh, an acrylic, perhaps not quite as much, but it's a general downturn. And, and it also should be remembered that that general decline in prices, that cycling down, was already happening. It happened, started about the middle of last year and all fibres were affected. So everybody was heading in the same direction. Uh, it was just taken a little bit heavier hit this year than, than the other fibres. And I suppose that might be because we're positioned at the higher end of the market. Um, all the other things we talk about, having you know a strong reliance on China and then looking for mm. sales that are perhaps difficult to find. Just, just can I just talk for a minute about the um, particular situations of, of crossbred wool that really got hit hard, and we've seen a, a lot of, especially the thirty-two microns and stronger. That really got hit hard. But that's because, and that's been struggling for a while because it has to, it goes into carpets and furnishings and the uh, synthetics are taking over that area. They're really strong. Their costs are low. And you've also got a lot of hard flooring these days that sort of means there's less demand for carpets. Yeah, yes. And uh, they're the industries that are going to be really, you know, hard hit out of this and we don't have... Um, those building and infrastructure industries going ahead. So it'll be interesting to see how how the demand side plays out between micron fibres, you know, for the rest of the year. And, Rob, now um, talk a bit about supply. Now, we've obviously we're at the record low levels and that has to have had a factor in cushioning, I guess, some of the effects that have happened so far. But we are also uh, putting the flock under pre pressure to recover post the drought. And how is that going to, um, you know, be affected by all this? Well, it's a really good point, Olivia. This, um, I was going to say hiccup, but this isn't a hiccup. This is <laughs> a hiccup. Yeah. Um, this problem couldn't have come at a worse time because we've now got production at um, record lows. So I think the sheep flock is the lowest in 100 years. When you mm -hmm. think 100 years is a long time. 
and we're at the lowest. We've also got a lot, uh, we've got fewer merinos as a percentage of the flock than we've had probably ever. And what it's meant is that um, production in 2020 is going to be around about 272 million kilograms. And if you just go back to 2000, 20 years ago, it was more than double that, at 650 million kilograms. Yeah. That's going to have an impact. And when you talk, you mentioned specifically about the drought recovery. We know that the sheep flock um, gets hit, got hit very hard in this drought. And it got hit hard because we didn't have any feed, but we also, farmers also had an incentive to sell those sheep because meat prices were so strong. So, you know, why would you be buying a bale of hay or a bag or a ton of wheat to feed sheep if you're getting good money for them and, and, and didn't have to have that cost? So the numbers are low. Um, and if it's going to recover, we know that when the season breaks, and fortunately that's one thing that's happened on the East Coast, we have got good rains in a lot of areas now, then the flock needed to grow in that period. And this is going to make people sit back and it's not going to encourage them to, to, to put out more merinos or try and breed more merinos, that's for sure. And the other factor that um, is going to be interesting to watch going forward is AWI revenues. And people, farmers will remember that in 2019 they voted that the revenue uh, as a percentage be cut from 2% down to 1.5%. And that effectively halved, and plus with the reduction in the wool clip and uh, uh, less wool going through and a lower rate of percentage for the um, wool levy, it halved the um, AWI's revenues from the wool levies. Now, if we look forward to the next year with a not only a reduced production, still the 1.5% uh, levy, but with a lower price, we're going to see their revenues hit again. So that's going to really challenge them. They've got good reserves but they'll be chewing into those reserves for sure. Yeah, I think the, the one thing they've got on their side is there'll definitely be a reduced marketing spend on the fashion shows over in Europe um, for the next year. Yes, well, they'll probably be, like everybody, be saving on airfares. They'll be saving on those sort mm -hmm. of um, But uh, the, the, there are other people who get impacted, though, Olivia. So organisations like um, the AWTA, the Wool Testing Authority, you know, works mm -hmm. for you. Um, if we don't, and they've been doing it tough, you know, everyone's had to tighten their belt as the clip has declined as a result of a drought. So they would have been hoping to see it recover. And now this puts a question mark over that. Yeah. And and for producers that are looking at their enterprise and deciding whether to, to get back into merinos or are they, are they going to be more likely to putting, uh, going straight into meat sheep or is there still that, uh, fight for acres, I suppose, we've always talked about with cropping and, and sheep. Well, yes, you're right. We do we do talk about the fight for acres. I think up until the end of February, the fight was a pretty even fight. You know, wool prices were good, meat prices were good. Um, people with merino flocks were selling their surplus ewes and their weather lambs for good money. Um, and it was an exciting place to be. You know, they just had probably two or three of their best years for those who weren't affected by drought. But in terms of commodity prices, whether it be sheep meat or wool, so the fight was fairly e even. What we've seen now is it's it's not even. You know, the, the meat prices we think will hold up better. Um, they have held up better. Um, low flock numbers means there's going to be, you know, the supply of... Um, Sheep meat's going to be constrained as well, but it's going to really challenge people's commitment to merinos in the future. And and even those 
flocks that have got 100% merinos now or almost 100% with the decline in wool prices and if meat prices hold where, you know, anywhere near where they are now, then uh, they're going to be encouraged to put a terminal sire over some of their merino ewes. Uh, some more might be inclined to push further towards terminals to gain. So that's not going to help. Yeah, you made some good points there. And I think especially in places like Western Australia where they're, they've been facing, you know, a lot of in, a lot of pressure for a long time um, for the merino growers and they're getting more pressure now with things like the, the moratorium on the live trade being uh, put in place for three months every year. Um, and so there's going to be more and more people that are looking at what they're doing and whether that's the right decision going forward to getting getting more merinos and rebuilding merino flock there. We know um, most of the, the decline in the sheep flock, especially the merino flock, has been to people going to cropping. So the point you make about Western Australia, Olivia, is really, really pertinent. I mean, most of Western Australia is a wheat-sheep zone. It used to be a wheat-sheep zone. It's becoming more wheat-wheat-sheep, and, and in the future it might just become a lot more places might become wheat properties as a result of this. So it's a real challenge. Uh, but then, you know, the wool industry has been taking on board challenges for years. Um, I, I can remember one of my earliest photographs I saw in the local paper was a meeting in Hamilton Town Hall where the, uh, the then chairman of what was previously AWI's predecessor, Sir William Gunn, was was thrown, was pelted with eggs and tomatoes, I think, because the growers didn't agree with something to do with the reserve price or something like that. So this sort of turmoil has been going on and up until probably the 1990s, the wool industry was very resilient at surviving that and there was a lot of commitment to wool. But going back to your point about the fight for acres, it's become really strong argument in the last few years for people to go into more cropping and more um, more prime lambs. So the challenge for the wool industry is, is really on right now. And um, speaking of what, what happened in the past, Rob, now I haven't been in this for long enough to know, but uh, you would have been around for the for the GFC. So what happened then to the wool market? How, how did that recovery look? Well, the recovery wasn't too bad, actually. Um, but we remembering in the GFC, we had uh, our iron ore and coal went really well too. And the reason it went well was because China, you know, I don't think they knew that the global financial crisis happened in China. They were, they were just flying along and we just happened to be a supplier. Now, this issue is going to be more significant because it's just impacted on everybody and, and mm -hmm. are relying on exporting to a lot of these countries that are in good shape. And that's the question mark we have going forward. We just don't know what sort of shape they will be in. And when they will come back to wanting to be strong consumers, especially of wool, which we agree is a uh, is a discretionary spend. And I know uh, there was another quote that was bandied out the other day because we know the supply is really low, and uh, and the quote that was was quoted was that supply wins the battle, but demand wins the war, and that's where we know that supply is low. There's no about that and it's not going to go up in a hurry because of all the things we've talked about but the big issue is doesn't matter how low supplies if demand is terrible then you know the producers are going to feel it and 
I don't know whether we whether last week's big decline was a one-off or whether um, it's the start of something worse or it's or it's what we're going to see in the future. But the the certainty of all this is that the uncertain nature of it means that it's not good for wool. It's not good for wool prices. Yeah, and I mean we're the one thing we are sure about is that there there is a short term impact that there is going to be a lot of disruption and the market's going to continue in this in this volatility for some time now. And it's you're right that it is the demand side that's going to determine how how much of an effect that's going to have over the longer term. So you're fortunate, Olivia. You've, uh, as you said, you haven't been around long, but uh, you've seen probably the best of the wool industry in the mm-hmm. last. And who knows? We might be seeing a whole new chapter being written into terms of, of what can actually happen to a, a commodity. Um, I'll just put this in as another page in the history books of uh, my experiences. But um, look, we the the one thing that will stand us in good stead is that. There are large tracts of Australia that were almost designed for the merino, or to put it another way, the merino was bred and designed for large tracts of Australia because it is the best. Um, it's the best way of turning some of that country into profitable and 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 highly successful farming businesses. So that will stand us in good stead. We we'll also have we have customers all around the world, you know, that have that know about wool, and at the same time. A growing market and and that uh, active sportswear in the last few years, you know, really drove the wool price to to record levels. So that's that's still there. Those things are still there. The the um, impact we're seeing right now is going to um, play against all of that. We're just not sure how much it's going to play against it or how long it's going to last. So that ends on a bit of a um, uncertain note, Olivia. Explains <laughs> the market. Yeah, no, I said at the start, we don't have all the answers, but we'll try as hard as we can to to give out some um, some information about what, what we know is going on from the supply side and, and demand. So hopefully our listeners have got something out of today that um, gives them a bit of greater clarity on what's going on and what might happen in the future. Thanks, Olivia. Um, it's been great to chat. Um, I, I think you're right. We don't pretend we know everything, but um, it's nice to be able to um, expand on what we are seeing and uh, hopefully it helps. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much, listeners, for joining us for another Commodity Conversations podcast. We hope you're all staying safe and well in this time and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye.